Hi, Steve. Hey, Mitch. Hi. How, how are you doing this week? I'm doing great. Oh, that's, that's I just, great. I just came back from a swim. Uh, it feels good to swim, you know? I did not come back from a swim. <clears throat> I came back from a COVID test. Why not, why not say that? I'm not, <laughs> I'm not super worried about it, uh, but I went through the process because I have uh, a cough and a sore throat this week. And, and I was super stressed about going through the process, but I called the hotline, which did not make me feel uh, bad, but it didn't take anything off. I still felt yeah. like, am I an overburdening the system with a silly worry? But no. I feel like if I have these, everything I read, if you have symptoms from this checklist, uh, be careful. And, yeah. and, you know, and I didn't want it. So, so I called. And then uh, the fella uh, from Moncton, uh, from the checkpoint in Moncton, yeah. he called to put me in the system and he was so reassuring and, and was just uh, made me feel better. Made me everything, everything he said was like, you're doing the right thing. This is what we want. We want to know uh, that people are taking it seriously and checking themselves out and, and, and whatever. And then we drove into town, like within an hour we were there and, yeah. uh, and they were super nice, super friendly. Uh, everything was great. So now, it, I mean, yeah uh unless i find unless it comes back positive and then things suck but <laughs> i mean you're doing your due diligence man yeah. i think in an ideal world we could all just get tested once a month to yeah. keep this thing under uh traceable and, and under control you know so i think i think like last week uh people uh what who, it sounds terrible uh pandemic I can't yeah. remember. Is that the World Z-Man Health Games? Organization? Oh, Z-Man never mind. <laughs> yeah, it is Z-Man. <laughs> the World <laughs> Health Organization do not release board games related they, uh, to. And, yeah, they released a print and play, play at home, that was like North American pandemic sort of thing. Oh yeah, yeah, right. Like Hot Zone or something. Yeah, like Hot that. Zone. I think is, yeah. is what it is. Uh, which is which is pretty funny. It's a print and play, and it's a it's a lot to print because it's, yeah. it's a lot of the cards. You you have to have. Uh, you don't need a version of Pandemic to play it but you need to right. have enough uh, bits to fill in as the resources if you don't have a copy of Pandemic. So you need right. 30 or 100 cubes kind of cubes. thing of different colors and, right. and the dice and markers and stuff. So you need quite a bit of small components to play it. And then, but then it's a, you print all the cards and you print a new board and you print all this, the rules and stuff. And it's, mm. uh, we, didn't, we didn't print didn't play or it. play it. Yeah. But I saw it come out, and it's it's a great idea to put something that relevant out. Yeah, it's interesting. I I find that decision interesting to 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 do that. I don't know. I, I don't know if it would translate to every well, kind of world world event that that happens. You know, if, I uh, think it's a great thing because games are people are spending more time at home for the last yeah. less less now because people are trying to get out more. But yeah. uh, and then to release relevant content, it's going to be hit or miss the same yeah. with any theme like if you put out a cthulhu theme you know a ton of people aren't going to want to play that right uh, where other people are going to want to play it so not everybody's going to want to play something that relevant yeah you know oh my god we're playing the disease that we're all afraid of right now right it's not necessary but i mean it's it's a print and play yeah uh, play it if you want it there seems to be a pretty hilarious large number of people that are really enjoying playing pandemic during this this whole thing, which surprised me because I, I'm not really interested in doing that. But uh, yeah, I think it's cool. So you can go there and have fun kind of, I don't know. 
Well, the nice thing about Pandemic is it's uh, it's available as uh, Cthulhu, so you can play right. Cthulhu breaking out in the world, and you don't have to worry about diseases. Right. Um, what's the Rising Tide, which is about right. uh, stopping uh, waters with dams and redirecting flows as the oceans uh, yeah. rise up on you. Yeah. So you don't, if you enjoy Pandemic, you don't have to immerse yourself in right. In a poisonous. Didn't they just do uh, Fall of Rome as well? And Fall of Rome, yeah, which is, which ah, I wish I remember that because I was thinking about that whenever it first came out. Yeah. I was reading uh, design stuff, and there's some really interesting things about how Fall of Rome happened. Uh, I don't remember who was involved in that and where. What what, what was interesting? This is a terrible conversation. Yeah, here yes, it is. There is Fall of We're Rome. We're having it. <laughs> And uh, maybe I'll look up on that again because I was interested in that when it came out. There was Matt something... Leacock, Paolo More, who we talked about not that long ago for Rise, uh, Rise of Augustus and Ethnos. He's involved with Fall of Rome. Was yeah. that the interesting thing you were going to talk the, well, about? Well, it is the interesting thing, and but there's there's more to it than just they yeah. worked on it together. Uh, there's, there's more about what happened. and uh, It seems like instead of diseases... Uh, you're trying to hold off being over invaded by Anglo-Saxons and Huns and uh, different invading groups of people, which is I, cool. That's interesting. I don't want to speculate on what I think I remember, but there's there's another game that got designed using Pandemic as a model. Oh. And this was sort of the wrapping it back up into Pandemic or something. Interesting. So I don't know if Paolo had come up with an idea and had worked on something else and then they sort of folded it back in or if you just approached Matt Leacock with the idea. Uh, There was, there was some, something going on in that that was really interesting to me and I'm doing a terrible injustice to all of it by by using my terrible memory to spout half nonsense about it. Well, you know what? It's, it's interesting because I, I, I care less and less for pandemic. Uh, I, it was one of the, the big games that got me into the hobby we've had a lot of fun playing the legacy version, uh, but it's, we've had so many breaks between it that it's lost all its momentum uh, that I didn't even pay attention to fall of Rome. And now that I'm just glancing at it, even just for a second and that Paolo Mori is involved and that it's a ancient Rome theme and it isn't diseases at all, but it's more of a historical um, setting. I'm actually probably most interested in this version of pandemic right now. So maybe I'll look into it. Maybe <laughs> no guarantees. That's funny. I thought you'd be more interested in Cthulhu because you, you love Cthulhu. I do. And I am. But it and is, if I, it it's is been the, around for a while. Yeah, it's been around for a while. And it's sort of, uh, it's interesting because it's sort of a stepping stone too. Like it's, yeah, uh, it's a little more streamlined, I think. I think it's, I think it's a little bit lighter than the vanilla pandemic. Oh, really? <laughs> There's well, something then. I remember about it, whether it has uh, less, less areas or, there's right. slightly less going on. Yeah. Not that it makes it easier. Uh, I just think that it's a, it's a lighter package. Mm-hmm. And again, I could, I could totally have that wrong. Who knows? <laughs> speaking but, yeah, of, that's how I remember it. Speaking of lighter packages, even though I, I don't think this is actually going to be physically that light. Um, I'm noticing a lot of people posting about Gloomhaven Jaws of the Lion because it released in, the, in Target, I guess. I don't think it's I here yet. A bunch of that too. I think it's a target exclusive for a short number of time before it's yeah, going to go to mass retail. Yeah. yeah. But a lot of people have been posting about it and some, um, I was curious enough to check out a few reviews and 
it it looks really cool. It looks really interesting. Um, some people are even saying, um, I watched the no pun included review, and the and those guys, they don't positively review that many games. Um, they do a good job of of well rounded reviews, so you can get a sense of the game and probably whether you'd like it or not. But they don't often give it a glowing stamp of approval kind of thing. Um, and Efka, one of the main uh, reviewers of of that on that site. Um, I think he says Gloomhaven is his favorite game and he might like this better oh, and wow. wishes that maybe even, I think I'm probably paraphrasing a little bit, but instead of Frosthaven, he would rather just more boxes like this. Um, and what it is for anyone who doesn't know, we've talked a little bit about Gloomhaven on the show, which is a massive kind of role-playing game in a box. Um, it has like 90 scenarios. It takes hundreds of hours to play. It's a real investment in time. It's a real investment in setup. It's a real investment in money. It's not every gamer's thing. And it's definitely not, I don't think most casual gamers or anyone just entering the hobby probably isn't going to venture there. So the designer released uh, a cat, just designed and just released a casual kind of entrance game um, using the Gloomhaven mechanics. And it's just 25 connected scenarios that tell a pretty cohesive story. And rather than setting up a bunch of map tiles, which is the big headache in Gloomhaven is setting up the actual map and getting all the bits out. Um, the map is printed on the scenario books. You just open the book and the map is right there and you just place your guys on it. Um, it has like a five scenario tutorial that just eases you into the mechanics. Um, I think the mechanics are explained on the cards. Like for the first three games, the hand of cards that you're playing with for your character will explain what certain mechanics are, what move is, what what range attack means. Um, and then after a few games, you just get rid of those cards and, and get different ones that where you don't need the explanation anymore. It's just, it seems like it's streamlined a lot and has cut out some of the, the uh, I don't know, the... Un- not that it's unnecessary. I think a lot of people would say that everything Gloomhaven is kind of necessary. I don't necess- I don't think that. I think some stuff could go. So I'm actually really excited. I, I don't plan to get it anytime soon. I still got a lot of Gloomhaven to play through. But I think by the time I'm ready to play it, um, it's it's one I could introduce to Sam and maybe even Susie and like play. It'd be a cool thing to maybe play as a family. Not that much reading, lots of cool storytelling, and just like 20, 20 scenarios. So I am excited about it. I think it's going to be a good one. I think it's going to do wonders for, for Gloomhaven. I can see more kind of, not that it needs a whole lot of <laughs> things done for it, but yeah, they, Gloomhaven uh, really needs a leg up. I'm needs really, a push right now. Really pulling for them, they, they're the underdogs in the gaming world. Twelve million dollar Kickstarter <laughs> or something. <laughs> yeah, but you know, it's a good, it's a good, uh, it's an interesting experiment that to see whether it will pull in casual gamers because it really isn't that complicated and uh, i'll be curious to see if with how this new jaws of the lion small box version whether that kind of climbs the ranks or um and becomes as popular or more popular i kind of doubt it but you never know it's it's interesting because it has uh because it's in target because it's going to be more accessible than the yeah. original gloomhaven was where the original gloomhaven never hit retail so you were buying it either through Kickstarters or from Cephalofair. Yeah. Uh, so so just to see something more affordable with more excessive, see how it does. It'll be and it's definitely interesting. As as the savvy thrifters we are, 
something getting pumped into target might end up under a lot of Christmas trees. This is me extrapolating to years down the road where a lot of people will get it and they don't want it. And they'll open it and be like, what's this garbage? Where's my Xbox 10? This is too many rules. This isn't a video game. This isn't an iPhone and throw it in the garbage. And then we find it in the Sally Ann for $3. Yep. Let me do it. You know, that might be five years down the road, but maybe that's when I'll be ready to play it. (laughs) I'm already expecting to. Uh, I was just I was just looking at the top uh, Kickstarter stuff to see what I can't afford, uh, yeah. and like and it's it's what we've talked about before with a big box of terraforming Mars. And oh, think, there's, uh, there's a lot on there right now. Uh, Overlords, the the new boss monster game. Yeah, um, role player adventures. Which yeah, I'm that's the... on my Christmas list already. Mm-hmm. Uh, but one of the ones that I think is amazing uh, that that I. I, it's still not affordable for me, right. but I could probably make something similar in my house. Right. Uh, somebody took the idea of pitch car, and I don't know if it's the actual, I haven't been able to figure it out if it's the actual pitch car people, huh. uh, but it's the exact, are you familiar with pitch car? I am, but pitch car remind is, me. Uh, so it's a, it's crokinole uh, taken to, uh, you build giant puzzle piece oh, yeah. of a racetrack so it's like you're building a slot car racetrack right it's a huge racetrack uh but you play with uh crokinole checkers and you flick them like you'd be playing crokinole but right. you're you're racing checkers around this giant slot car track and uh i wish i could afford it it seems like a brilliant thing fun. to have and to, to bring out every now and then and play for a week uh yeah. somebody came up with a great idea where they built a puzzle set like that but it's just mini golf Oh, so you just set up the pieces to make different mini buttholes, and you play crokinole. Uh, I think that's actually like a marble, but you play oh my basically God. playing crokinole uh, yeah. mini putt, which is amazing. That's a great idea. I this is reminding me right away. Um, in elementary school, when we used to have computer class, and I'm using air quotes there. No, whatever. It was it's it was computer class. We went to a room full of computers and we either typed or played games on them. One of my favorite games was a game called I think I can't remember if it's What's Your Angle or What's My Angle. And all it was is little mini golf holes. Uh, mm-hmm. and you had a, a thing and you had to you know, you just had to figure out the angles to launch it and and try to find a way to get it in into the hole. And then it would just get uh increasingly more complicated holes. Um, that's that game. It's like kind of, uh, with Mario flicking. Mini Putt. Uh, we play that a lot. Yeah, that's cool. Uh, yeah, there's a lot of stuff on Kickstarter right now. That that role player still, looks fascinating. I wish it wasn't so expensive either. But still, Crokinole related on Kickstarter is uh, Pandasaurus has. I don't know if it's on Kickstarter anymore or if it's just out. I think it might just huh. be out. Uh, Pandasaurus that? put out Sonora. Have you seen Sonora? Have not. It's uh, another brilliant, <laughs> brilliant idea. Uh, they took crokinole and made it a roll and write game. So you're you have this small uh, crokinole board with four different quadrants. That's uh, different areas and it has different stuff. And it's like you're shooting twenties for the center kind of thing. But <clears throat> as you shoot your your pieces, it lands in different quadrants on different things in different areas. And then you're making uh, roll and write sort of choices with that. So you have uh, little scratch pads that you're you're doing your moves and you're doing all your stuff based on uh this dexterity game which is probably the that sounds cool dexterity uh roll and write that is interesting 
Speaking it of, is interesting. I'm, I'm, I'm just segueing all I over the place. I'm a segue machine right now. Speaking of roll and write, even though it isn't a roll at all, um, I on a whim uh, ordered Ratatat roll. Oh yeah, I've been wanting um, to hear more. You, on, in in uh, over the past month or so of me and you having these, you know, weekly check-in chats. What have you been playing? What have you been up to? I've uh, I've talked many times of how many games of Ratatat Cat we've played which is the game right uh, version of what my wife calls Caribbean poker, which you can play with a deck of playing cards. Yeah. Anybody with kids under 10 should own Ratatat Cat. It's pretty solid. It's pretty solid. And I, th- I think we've explained it on here before, but you basically just have four cards face down in front of you. You can peek at the one on the far right and the far left once, memorize what it is, and then you're basically drawing cards and trying to replace the, f- the four cards you have in front of you with the lowest cards. Um, when you think you have the lowest four cards, you can, on your turn, instead of drawing a new card, say rat attack cat. When it gets back to you, everyone reveals their cards and whoever has the lowest uh, four card set, whatever, in front of them, they win. So it can be played in 10 minutes, 30 seconds if someone draws all low cards. Um, Here's the thing. They, they might do it, but... We talked about it, I think, the last time. Uh in the rules, you actually set up how long you want to play the game for. So you set up whether you want to play like one round right. or if you want to play to like a hundred or like 10 rounds or, right. and Macy always picks like 10 or 13 rounds. I was like, why don't we play like four <laughs> rounds of five? Yeah. But, but it's a that game that 10, but. sometimes I'm like literally just walking out of bed and like, like a zombie shuffling towards the coffee maker. And my daughter Violet will just be like, run attack cat. And she's like setting it up on the table before I can even uh, see straight. So anyways, and I like the game. I think it's a great game. And, and I agree with you that it's a great family game. Everyone should have it if their kids are interested in, interested in games at all, especially trying to figure out numbers and, and probability and some guesswork and bluffing and stuff. Well, that's um, enough about Ratatat Cat. Yeah. How, so this, how this is Ratatat it. Roll better? So when I realized or that Ratatat Roll existed, uh, I looked into it for about 20 seconds and went, oh, there's just a bit more of a game here. Uh, and I, I just impulsively ordered it, which, you know, some gamers are apt to do sometimes. Um, it showed up in a couple of days because we live in the future um, at my doorstep and we broke it out and it is just a variation on Red Attack Cat, but it's neat. It, it's, it's really neat. You're really, you're really selling it. Yeah. Well, I'm going to, we don't I'm have saying, an affiliate link, so you don't have to sell. I'm saying home. it's really neat because <laughs> Uh, three out of four of us in the family prefer it. Mm. Violet doesn't because, and you know, Red Attack Cat is completely her jam. Uh, but there's a few added rules and a little more to think about in this game that she's just kind of bounced off of. So she still prefers Red Attack Cat. So she's just turned five. So a four and five year old might still want to stick with Red Attack Cat. Red Attack Roll may add a little bit too much. It's for six, uh, six and up. But it has this board of. Uh, almost like a roll and move board, but it's a circle with 20 spaces on it. And you have a little, the, the rat attack cat card game has the statue of Liberty, but it's a cat on the cover. Um, they it's call the this of Liberty. Yes. They call this meeple, the catch of Liberty really cleverly. So you place this on the board and this is the real cool thing. And it's great for, for Sam who's seven. Um, it comes with three six sided dice and, and one unique dice. Um, but basically, the, the spaces on the board are, are, 
you can either, if you land on a certain spot, you can peek at your cards. You can look at them all again if you've forgotten what they were. Or you can peek at someone else's, one of their cards. You can, um, it's all the same as Red Attack Cat. If you land on another space, you, um, well, this isn't the same. You grab a token, that a reroll token that lets you reroll dice. Another spot will let you um, access the unique dice, which you have to roll. And if you, if you get a, a certain number, you get to take the highest um, card available or the lowest card available so or swap there, from someone else. Is there so there's like face-up cards. Yeah, okay. I should say. You start with just one card face down around the board. Do you get on, to see that one card or is that? You get to peek at your first card. Okay. And then around the board are five spaces for face-up cards and they're kind of color-coded. So when you roll, if you land in one of those color-coded sections, you have to take the card that's oh, yeah. there. So you're, you're looking around and, you know, usually it works out pretty good where there's like a nine in one spot, but there's a zero in the other spot. And again, there's only 20 spaces. Uh, so you can usually get to any spot you need, need to potentially with three dice. So what you do is you decide whether you want to roll one, two or three dice, and, and then you give it a try and you start with two reroll tokens and there's other ways to get reroll tokens throughout. Uh, and you are moving around. There's one space where you can draw from the deck instead of taking the, the, the card that's, that's yeah. face up. And basically when you get four cards face down in front of you, you're, you're out. Um, on your turn, you can skip your turn because you feel really good about the cards you have, or you can roll that, that unique dice, dice where you might be able to switch with someone else, or you might get a better card that's already on the board. But if you decide to roll it, you have to take a card. Um, and then when everyone has four cards, you, you flip and see. So it's a little bit, yeah, there's just a little bit more going on. Sam really likes the decision space of how many dice to use and kind of just figuring out where he wants to get and, and then maybe using a few re-rolls. Just adding decisions adds just, so much to the game. Because exactly. Red Attack Cat, you draw a card. Yeah. And then, and then you decide what to do with that card. But that's, yeah. that's the only decision in the game. So, I'll tell well, you what, besides, do I think I have a low enough hand to... I've only exactly. I've only played it a few times now, and you know it's it's not super. It's not a heavy game or anything. But what I've realized, and I think Sam isn't there yet, but he will realize. I think the real kind of the the fun and the little bit of strategy that is in the game would be like you want to race to get the best four cards so that you're done uh, while the other people are still playing, and you can maybe if you can stockpile a few reroll tokens every time on your turn. If you keep track of your opponent's cards, you can just try to swap for their lower cards while they're mm. trying to get there for. So there's a little bit of like this race element to it. Um, I don't know if Potential anyone else for is thinking some, about it. some take that. Yeah, a little bit of, yeah, I'm going to keep rolling until I can swap for your zero. Um, but Sam, Sam really liked it. We let him stay up a little later last night and play a few games with us, which he really enjoyed. And that was, uh, that was the one. It's cool. I think anyone who's burnt out on Rat Attack Cat, which is basically what was happening in this house, um, would would welcome the change. But uh, but realize that your kindergartner age may still prefer just the draw and flip excitement of Rat Attack Cat. Uh, we played the Tea Dragon Society this week. Oh yeah, which is it's it's almost a great game. For I mean, it's a great game for for uh, it's a very light, light, quick deck building game. Right. 
but there's slightly too much. Uh, it's super cute. Like it's based on uh, the T Dragon Society comic. Uh, yeah, comic. What do you call it? I think it is graphic a com- novel. Graphic novel. Yeah. But so it's like I would love to play it with Macy because it's uh, the complexity is super low. The gameplay is super streamlined and it's so cutesy, but there's a lot, not rule wise to learn, but the cards have a slight bit of reading on all of them. And the way they, they play off of each other is just a lot to kind of deal with. It's not a complicated game at all, but it, it feels like, you know, she can play above and below without, without a problem, which is a more complicated game. She can play, uh, more complicated games but this one just feels like there's slightly too much going on in such a light game right. that she might not be able to uh, follow along right. as well. I mean she's seven and I, you know it's a 14 and up game so it's not or it's 10 and up I think Right. but mostly that's I think for the reading but it's such a small uh, game you have each there's four different dragons in it and they're cute lovable squeezable uh, cartoon dragons yeah yeah and they're all based off of uh, tea so there's a uh, jasmine and rubio and uh chamomile and i can't remember the last one yeah, looking at the art the art's amazing the art's amazing uh and each dragon has their own uh starting deck and uh they each have sort of sort of a special power where they have all the all the main cards are like sleeping or entertaining or cooking so it's all like activities and they each have one that they sort of <laughs> love the most chamomile loves sleeping the best right of course, because, yeah. because of chamomile tea sleepy time i'm, I'm right there with them that's my nighttime so, drink so if on your turn you draw and all you do on your turn is you draw a card and you're, you don't have a hand you have a face up area where you flip a card over and and that's your stuff and you slowly gather things in the open until you can spend them and so on your turn, if you flip over a card that says sleeping and you're playing as the chamomile dragon, you would get to draw a second card unless you already have a sleeping out. And that cancels that. Mm. And it has each card, each dragon has a, like a mischief card uh, or maybe two uh, mischief cards where you pull them up and uh, you have to discard it right away. But if you have a different type of card, you have to discard that card too. Mm. And then uh, in the market, you have a deck of cards and there's always four face up uh, market items that you can buy and each of your cards that you have in your starting thing has a little bit of um what do they call it growing i think growing. is what they refer to it's like it's okay. it's your gold right yeah yeah <laughs> but it's gotcha. called growing so there's a little green leaf little number from zero to two or three mm-hmm. and as you gather your cards you'll slowly have more and more uh money leaves growing and you'll be able to buy new <laughs> cards with it and they have a little teacup on the side that says how much they're, they're worth. And that's how you can buy them. And when you buy them, uh, they go uh, straight into your uh, useful cards, mm. which, is, which is nice. But all your cards that you spent go away. Interesting. So you buy a new card. And some of those cards are just uh, the same sort of cards, the growing sort of cards that are entertaining and stuff, uh, right. but have maybe a higher value. So you can buy better cards. And other ones are items that uh, give you certain bonuses. Uh, right. And some of them are protection cards that stop your mischief card from maybe doing something. And, mm-hmm. uh, so, and some of them are, I can't remember what they call them, like sensitive cards, so that if that uh, mischief comes up, those go away too. Right. So like, they're worth something, but 
they're they're very precarious. So if if your mischief comes up, you lose that one as well. And that's cool. that's what you're doing. You're buying these cards, but none of those. Some of those have points. Some of the items have points, but right. along the top row, you have four different seasons, and that's the whole game. You play through four seasons, and uh, what those are, depending on how many players are playing, you have uh, a set of cards for each season. And you start off in the spring, and if you're playing with two players, you only have three. And if you're playing with three players, you have four. And right. uh, those have the points, the big points that you're going to earn at the end of the game. And so those cost slightly more. And it's it's kind of a race to just buy those cards. Because every time that row goes down to one card, it changes seasons, you lose everything from the market, you bring out uh, the new season cards. And then once you get to winter, once that's down to one card, the game's over and you count your points. And hmm. And I kind of knew that right from the beginning right. because it's because there's not a lot of rules. There's not a lot going on. And those are the only po- real points in the game. There's again, some of the items and some yeah, of yeah. the, some of the winter cards have uh, bonus scoring. So if you right. have more of these or more of those, you get, you get points. And one of the ways that you can play is to have the winter cards that you're going to play with uh, visible through the whole game. So people can sort of plan for the, right. for the last season. Uh, but we didn't play like that. And even though I knew that those were the only real points in the game, I was like, well, maybe I'll try and get some some other cards to help me uh, go. And Melissa was just, I'm going to buy those those point cards. And <laughs> Melissa's deck was working so well that she had, uh, like every time she'd draw a card, she ended up drawing four or five cards because all the cards that she had. And every time right. I would draw a card, I would lose three cards. So <laughs> I had... I had a hard time getting any money back. And uh, she had like, oh, well, I've got, I've got nine, nine, nine again. I guess I'll buy one of these other ones. And like, oh, those are gone. So she beat me yeah, by like, a lot. I think she had like, th- oh, I can look it up. I have it right here. Boop, boop, boop. She won. She won that game. I had 18 points and she had 32. Wow. <laughs> so, I, but it's fun. It's, it's super light, super cute. And like, it's light enough that you could play this. Uh, with four people uh, doing other things like drinking and talking and, mm. and you know you do it's a it's one of those games where your turn is one thing uh, you flip a card and whatever that might chain into or you right. buy it or you buy a card and that's it so like you're never you're never distracted you're never uh, there's no deep strategy you're never yeah, puzzling yeah. over it's a very light filler game and it's, uh, I didn't I didn't know you had this game it's in my box of games to give away uh, at Christmas parties. Ah. And since I'm not really buying games anymore, I'm uh, going through some those. new ones. Yeah, yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, I'm look, I was looking at the art. It's a beautiful game. And then in just looking a little bit further, it won 2018 Eisner Award, uh, the comic book of Tea Dragon Society, um, for best publication for kids and best web comic. Uh, on the ALA rainbow list. That, that's huge. I'm, I love, I follow the, I'm a huge comic book guy. Less so these days because of board games and life. Um, but whenever I fall out with comics and I'm trying to wonder what what's still worth reading, all you got to do is Google the Eisner Award. It's like the Spiel de Jarre, right? You, mm-hmm. you Google the Eisner Awards and be like, okay, well, I missed out on years of comic reading, but I'll just go back and read some of these award winners. The fact that that's there um, speaks speaks a lot to the the comic book makes sense that it maybe was picked up for a game i'm gonna go nab a copy if i can because i love reading comics with my kids so and, and i will i will beautiful. probably still try and play this with macy like even though 
it might be too much. Sometimes I'll the still aesthetic. Try it. Yeah, I mean she the, she's gonna love. Yeah, cards. the aesthetic's enough to at least she'll give it a little more and more of a try. And here's the thing with uh, like Macy is so interested in in games. Uh, we played last week. We played uh, Relic Runners. Oh yeah. And like you and I had played Relic Runners before, I think. I don't know if I got to try that one. No. Well, no. I've played it once before anyway uh, yeah. with Melissa. And I had been, this is a game that I had been after for a long time. For so years. Days, days of Wonder, years right? and years. Days of Wonder. It's a Days of Wonder game. So probably like four years ago, five years ago. Uh, I don't know what year it is. It's, it's, it's older too- than that. Uh, but it it sort of came out right after uh, Days of Wonder was doing like a game a year. Yeah, and, 2013. And this was the game that came out uh, pretty soon after Ticket to Ride. Yeah, a few years later. And they were it was sort of being pitched as the next level up of Ticket to Ride. I think they were expecting it to do as well. Right. And, and sort of it has the same look. It has the same vibe. Uh, and they were kind of, I think, expecting it to catch on the same way but it has uh more complicated systems <laughs> yeah much more complicated systems and we ran into a problem the first time we played it where it's it's very dull and it takes a lot to get going right and then the last couple rounds are are fun because everything is now you're it's sort of like building an engine as yeah. you go uh, and then at the end, but you're building these routes. <clears throat> right. I should probably explain a tiny bit of how it works, but I wasn't really intending to right away. I was I was just saying the look of it is is really captivating. Yeah, super really cartoony is. jungle. It's got beautiful sculpted pieces. It's yeah. got uh, huge tiles and uh, similar to the the Ticket to Ride trains. It's got these little like bridge pieces, mm-hmm. little yep. trail pieces, uh, and then. For some reason, they made uh, the the player uh, meeple the, the plastic characters that you play are like they look like they're sunk in quicksand. They're yeah, just, they do look like the those quicksand guys. Yeah. Instead of looking like the and it's it's relic runners and instead of they looking no like legs. they're running through <laughs> the jungle, they they actually look like they're sinking and trapped and stuck. Right. I imagine somebody must have complained about that before, but the pieces are beautiful, um, and the player mats are nice, but they uh, so. On your turn, there's this map of, <laughs> of the jungle that starts in the center in your camp, and you're trying to get these relics. And these beautiful little relics are in different colors to match the different colored temple spots on mm-hmm. the jungle board. But in order to get them, you have to build a route between two matching temples. And beyond that, you have to exhaust those temple pieces so that there, there's nothing there. And once once the temple pieces that are there are gone, then these uh, little mm-hmm. statues come out. And once two of them have come out and you've connected a route between the two of them, then you can move from one to the other and collect the other. And so the whole game is you trying to get out your little uh, path pieces Similar mm-hmm. as what you're trying to do in Ticket to Ride, except you do yeah. it in a different way by um, moving to a particular spot that lets you place. Well, first you have to have uh, this one resource that you need to expend every time you go somewhere. And whenever you run into that, you have to go back to the, the camp at the middle of the board to get new ones. 
<clears throat> and then on certain spaces, you can spend that to put out a piece adjacent to where you are. And then if you move your toolkit up a, another track, you can spend that to move that piece to another place. Or if you go to a temple, you might find a thing that lets you move your pieces or put out pieces. But the majority of the game is you trying to get to places to spend things till you run out and have to go back in order to get out these pathways. Right. Once you have enough out and once the game has gone far enough, then the game becomes you figuring out how to move around the board using all these paths to collect these things. And that part of the game is actually more interesting and more fun. Right. But it feels like it takes forever to get to that point. And you can do it <clears throat> slightly earlier in the game, but you can't get points. Your big points come from the longest routes that you build. So the right. longer you can connect a route and then run through that route to get a thing, the more points you get. So you, you want to get your pieces out and then spend the last bits of the game manipulating them. And, and there's fun in that. But <clears throat> And so my thing with Macy and the T-Dragon Society is that Melissa and I were basically complaining about how we, we don't really like this game, how there's fun at the end, but it's, it's long to get there and it's not worth it. And right. Macy's like, well, well, when can I try it? And we were like, well, but what we're saying is, is we don't really think it's a great game. Like we bought it to play with you, but it's, it's overly complicated. And she's like, so, so I'll be able to play it soon. <laughs> and like, she just, she just wants to play it. She wants to see right. it. She doesn't, she doesn't care if we said it's not fun. She's right. interested. She wants to learn it. She wants to play with the pieces. She wants to know. So, you know, T-Dragon Society has, it's a very simple game. It's very quick. It's very smooth. Yeah. And, and you know, we were concerned that there's slightly too much going on, but you know, it's 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 like you playing uh, some of the card games with Sam, where once he knows what the card is, he doesn't have to read it. It's just yeah, that exactly. That. And yeah. they and kids pick that up and remember that way better than than we do. So yeah, absolutely. So I'll play it with her, and she'll love she'll love it. I don't yeah. know when we'll get to uh, Relic Runners. I think uh, for this weight of game, I would rather get uh, what's the other? I think it's a Days of Wonder game too, The River. Oh yeah, which yeah. I think I, I would like. To, I would trade relic runners for the river in a heartbeat i think the river is is sort of where sort of the next game up i'd like to play with macy yeah. for for that type of game yeah it's that... more of a worker placement but for the for the amount of decisions and the amount of stuff and for looking uh super fun and that's an old one too now a couple of years i think by now yeah yeah that does <laughs> that does look really interesting uh yeah i want to say that that is i i shouldn't just guess it's probably right here in front of me but it has a an artist that we love on it, um, either Andrew Bosley or the Miko, but I'm confusing it with another. There's a similar game like Dice Settlers, I think maybe that I get confused with the river. They have a really similar look to it. Yeah, it is Andrew Bosley on the river, right? Uh, yeah, which makes sense why it looks so lovely because he probably might be one of my definitely my top three favorite artists these days um so yeah the river looks beautiful looks a lot like everdell's boards but then he's got nice looking humans on there doing their thing yeah that'd be a fun one um, man you were talking about um i just have to mention this quickly you were talking about uh melissa having a really nice uh engine and in, in t-dragon society like a deck that she could kind of run through i uh I've been kind of obsessed with staying up late and 
uh, cramming in a, a game of Slay the Spire before I go to bed. Like I'm still, I'm still on that game. This is a video game, I know, but I do consider it board game related because it's the best deck builder I've ever played. Um, yeah, I know, right? It, I, you, you just made really big eyes at me that no one could see because I really like a lot of deck builders, but it's hard to compete with this one, and partly because um, there's so many cards and. and you know, it doesn't have it, it doesn't have to be weighed down by a board game, the physical components of having a thousand cards and, and and these different mechanics that you couldn't really do in a board game. So it can do a few things that board games can't, I think, uh, which which gives it some appeal. But I've been uh, trying to finish it. I'm not going to talk about what that means because it's spoilery. But I've been really practicing with this one character, and really, this is the first time with a deck builder that I've been able to do this because I don't play in this way. I don't play games this way very, very much, but there's a way to really like we've, we talked about on here before the um, quest for El Dorado deck builder. And you found a way uh, to almost make like a bit of an infinite deck, right? Yeah. Uh, which, well, sort of, sort I, of. I thin it out to a, to what's like seven or eight cards and you just cycle through them almost every turn. You have all of your cards. Right. And, you know, I think I read, I read a design diary recently. We talked about this a couple of weeks ago at Abandon All Artichokes, where mm. um, the designer of that game, uh, Emma Larkin, I think, um, she found, someone found an infinite loop to build, build a deck uh, and she cut it out of the, she made it, she cut that, that out of the game so that didn't happen. She considered it game breaking. Anyways, this can happen in Slay the Spire where I've been just like trying to get these certain cards because you, you never kind of can perfectly plan what deck you're going to get because the cards are random and stuff, but you can try to keep it thin enough and there's just this really cool drawing mechanic. So last night I was playing through it. And I'm like, yeah, this is it. This is the night. I got it. I got this little thin deck and I'm just like ripping through it, cycling through it multiple times to the point where I don't remember how many times I cycled through it in one uh, encounter, but I got an achievement that said like infinity loop. And I, I, so I got, I did something right with, with greatness infinity deck. And uh, I was like, I'm going to beat this game. Like, no, this is it. I broke it. And I got to the last boss. And uh, what can happen in this game sometimes is that if you press the triangle button on a PlayStation controller, it turns over. Like if you, if you, slip if you hit it i've done it multiple times i did it last night i didn't i don't rage i don't rage easily um you know me long enough my rage is pretty mild um but i was i went to bed upset because <laughs> <laughs> I, I don't know if that'll happen again i it felt really good to have an infinity deck it was like the you know if this was a kung fu movie or a bruce lee movie or something i've been training playing deck builders my whole life to it's, accomplish this deck it's a and then i any, slipped on a banana peel basically you've been playing video games long enough to know that that'll happen again yeah yeah you well, know once you I, once you go through a impossible level or impossible anything in a video game it's suddenly easier and easier and easier it's true yeah it, yeah. and it's a, it's the sign of a good game design whether board game or video game that this slowly unveils itself to you. And then you're like, Oh, now I kind of know how to do this thing. Well, do that. Uh, You'll get there again. Don't worry, Steve. Thanks for the encouragement. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, News wise. This is interesting. Um, Who is it? I I should find the guy's name. Uh, Should have read this while you were talking. Uh, Basically the leader, uh, the head of the North American Scrabble players association. Oh, uh, some of the members 
uh, we're asking uh, what can we do to 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 so show solidarity with Black Lives Matter mm -hmm. and and current events. And so, in 1994, uh, Hasbro removed some like 200 uh, racial slurs and horrible words from the the official Scrabble dictionary. Right. But but didn't remove them from competition play. Weird. They were still perfectly legal in competition play. So uh, I was just reading an article on uh, June 25th, I think it's on the CBC, where uh, John Chu is his name. Uh, he's the CEO of NASPA, which is the North American Scrabble Players Association. And so uh, they're going to now try and push Hasbro uh, to follow through. Like, why are those removed from the dictionary? Yeah but still okay in competition. So uh, wow. that's interesting. And I hope like that was, uh, that was sort of an article in an interview. And I'm hoping that it, that the, if it happens, it, well, one, I hope it happens. And two, I hope that uh, we get to see that it happened instead of mm -hmm. it just sort of happening. And then we just don't, don't know about it. I'd like to, I hope there's another article later on that says Hasbro did that. And then I was, I was started looking up, uh, like Hasbro is this massive, massive entity. Right? Yeah, yeah. <clears throat> and uh, I was trying to figure out. Like I thought, there's there's a weird thing with Scrabble, where Mattel owns Scrabble, but so does Hasbro. Uh, right. And I'm just trying to figure out what is it? Uh, Mattel. One of them owns it in North America, and one of them owns it in the rest of the world. And Hasbro tried to buy out Mattel entirely. Uh, yeah, so Mattel owns it in most of the world, right? And Hasbro owns Scrabble trademark <coughs> in North America. So for the U.S. and for Canada, it's the trademark is Hasbro. And in like 2017, Hasbro put an offer in to buy Mattel outright, and they mm. turned it down. And uh, and I realized that I don't know much about Mattel. Like I've right, I've read a lot about Milton Bradley, and I've read a lot about Parker Brothers and stuff, and I didn't really. Mattel's a toy company, yeah. So, so I haven't really uh, thought about it until yeah. just just with this Scrabble thing. I was like, "Why? Well, yeah, what? Like, I know Mattel has a bunch of great games now. What what sort of happened?" And I want to look more into that. But in like 1992, they bought <clears throat> a company called International Games, and that was sort of their start hmm. in the in the game world. And that that brought uh, that was Uno and Skipbo. Right, right. And that was sort of. According to Wikipedia, which is not great research, I know, but I, I rushed it. <clears throat> but uh, so that's that's sort of their gateway hmm. into it. And uh, Hasbro, where they have been sort of gobbling up more and more, did try and buy Mattel, but didn't. But, you know, what's that going to do for them? Yeah. Well, hopefully, yeah, hopefully that article pops up. That would, uh, what a weird decision to make to get rid of uh, offensive and inappropriate racist words from the dictionary, but leave them in for competitive play. That's, do you know, uh, do you know uh, sorry, I cut you off. No, uh, go ahead. That's terrible. You didn't, I had to literally finish my sentence. <laughs> uh, do you, do you follow our family plays games on Instagram and stuff? Yes, I do believe. They, uh, they are, they're a family. Makes uh, sense. Uh, Mick and they and play Star games Mick and Starla and they play games and they have <clears throat> a YouTube channel that is I think if if you have if you've been getting into games 
and you don't know uh, much and you want a great place to start, they are one of the best jumping off uh, like YouTube channels. Right. They're uh, super down to earth and super, it's like, it's like you're, you're asking your friend, what should I play? And they're like, oh, we'll tell you what you should play. And, right. and they're, they're very, very casual. And everything they talk about is, <clears throat> is very light and very casual and very down to earth. And they just got uh, Good Morning America just did a spot with them. Oh, wow. So they went, uh, they were on Good Morning America just talking about board games and why they're, why they're pitching board games and, and why they're into it. And their 15-year-old son is uh, actually, I guess, does, does their channel, runs their channel, does their editing, oh, wow. sets up their stuff. So they, they do the, most of the on-camera stuff and he does all the background stuff. And he's on the camera too. <clears throat> but they went, uh, I think they had 20, 2,500 subscribers and in the last week it's, it's over doubled since their Good Morning America appearance. So wow that's that's awesome that's super awesome and pretty like, cool for uh hmm? yeah no, pretty cool that good morning america um would shine a light that way but just the board games like this is yes shine more lights towards the board game hobby um give give people a boost you know yeah it's awesome and, uh, and people of color because uh, good morning america is a great source for that and so is uh our family plays board games awesome. plays games they don't say board games but you know yeah we know, we know it we had a pretty um sobering discussion last time we were on here about the black lives matter movement and how we you know we stand in, in solidarity and and that agree that black lives matter and um you know we we also pointed out that we we have our own kind of homework to do and, and need to need, need to dig around um at designers who are people of color and content creators and um i did i did go look and and i i can't believe that this escaped my mind last week when we were talking and not that we played a ton of his games um but i just wanted to um again shine some light onto a, a designer who happens to be a person of color Isaac, a shout out if you will a shout out isaac vega Huge oh, yeah. name, Dead of uh, Dead of Winter is his game, um, which has a Crokinole spinoff. Uh, flick him up, flick him up, which is his as well, um, uh, or he's part of it at least. Um, yeah, I think he's. I don't think he's with the Flick him up, the the Western. No, he's listed as Dead of Winter. I guess he probably got some a credit. Yeah because of his characters and maybe his setting and stuff. I don't know enough about it, but we have played one of his games and that is city of remnants, um, which was his first design. He played Dead of winter too. Oh, you played Dead of winter. Yeah. yeah. Uh, Dan has. Ah, it. See, I haven't got to play it. it. Yeah. Dan has it. And I've always wanted to give it a try because I'm really interested in the crossroads me- mechanism. Like that's the kind of storytelling and narrative choices that that provides. One of the things I like a lot about dead of winter. Uh, it's, it's one of the, games uh similar like Battlestar Galactica where there's like a betrayer. <clears throat> yeah. Yeah. But you don't have to play with it at all. You can just remove yeah. it and just play it as a cooperative game, which yeah. is how we played. Yeah, I think it's most people's zombie go to game. I think most people would probably rank it uh way up there. Because I had that other game uh for a while. I got rid of it but the last night on Earth, but that 
didn't quite do it for me in terms of zombie vibe and i've always wanted to try dead of winter i think it stayed out of my collection because it's not really a solo game and it is a big purchase but we have played city of remnants which i know we have mixed feelings about at the time um, but i love like 80 percent of city of remnants there's just a couple things that bog that down for me um but i love the deck building i love the setting i love the weird things that can happen in that game um but anyways yeah super and i had listened to a ludology pod podcast an interview with isaac vega and he just sounds like the most down-to-earth guy he so oh my god he's ashes uh rise the phoenix born yeah he's ashes which is huge collectible card game um but something else that should be pointed out about him is that he is one of the what's the way to way to put it one of the best at including lgbtq characters in his games so there are uh, you know, gay characters in Dead of Winter. There's a transgendered character in uh, another of his games that might be escaping me right now. Um, but yeah, he's a great, great voice in, in games. And his last few games that have come out, I've keep seeing and I'm like very interested in um, Starship Samurai. <laughs> right, right. Just has some mass appeal that there are these massive kind of Ultron, uh, not Ultron, what's the uh, Voltron style giant mechs floating in space that are fighting each other. And the most recently, Forgotten Waters, which um, looks really interesting because it, I think it, it has the um, crossroads mechanism in it again, uh, but seems to be kind of following the, stuffed fables right um Kalmanots kind of style but it's like looks like a pirate kind of swashbuckling adventure um yeah crossroads game set in a fantastical world of pirate adventure really interested in that one and i've heard lots of good things about it so far so anyways yeah isaac vega city can't of wait, remnants can't wait to try some of those city of remnants uh i you know we have to we'll have to play it again my problem yeah. with that wasn't like I have no substantial thing that was wrong with the game. My my feedback on that game only was that at that point, <clears throat> it was the only game I've ever played where I ended up looking at my watch and going, oh my God, you know, like how long have we been playing this? It was a long first game we played, and, yeah. And, you know, we've played, I've played three hour games without looking up. Yeah. And that game, I, I checked my watch because I was, I, something like I felt it dragging on for some reason. And I don't yeah. know, I don't know if that would ever happen again. I don't know if that was like my mood that day, but that doesn't doesn't happen, you know. Like, so I'm really, that was my. I don't have anything that I didn't like about the game. No, that's just Some, I have this impression of looking at my watch and going ah. And sometimes the first play of a game where we got to learn the rules and we got to kind of grok through whatever kind of new mechanics are being introduced because there's a quite a bit going on in that game. Yeah. Um, you know, there's, there's little minute, different games in the game. Yeah, you know, you get, you have a, a gang of miniatures uh, where you're kind of uh, vying for area of control throughout this city to 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 get those gang members to do things. You're building a deck, and, and then at at game. and then at various points, uh, these robot police can can raid you and mess with your stuff, and you can lose cards or lose points. I can't exactly remember how it goes. But anyways, it, it's a sem, it's a kind of an older game, and it's his first design that he got yeah. signed, and he kind of never looked back from there. But they have just re-released it last year. Uh, it's re-implemented under the name Neon Gods. Same okay. kind of. I didn't I didn't know that was that. 
same same game uh gang kind of area control deck building but set in like a almost like a cyberpunk 70s 80s aesthetic really flashy neon cars and uh listen to me 80s and 70s and cars and lights um but it looks really cool and i wonder if maybe you know 10 years have passed and a new kind of a new visual aesthetic and maybe a little bit of revisiting the rule book and streamlining something um, might've done something for the, for it too. Anyways, right. It's settled. Prolific designer, prolific designer. I mean, he's going to go down in history as having dead of winter and, and crossroads mechanics on his belt too. Yeah. The, the crossroads uh, system is, is slowly making it into other games and other games too. So, Totally. Well, one of my uh, for each of those, I guess. One of my favorite interviews I listened to the past this past year was the interview with Fog of Love designer. Uh, I don't have his name right in front of me. I wasn't expecting to talk about it, um, but he directly credits the the inspiration uh, that of Winter and the Crossroads system for uh, inspiring that kind of decision making and storytelling in in Fog of Love. Um, Jacob Jaskov is a fog of love designer. Um, man, I know we've been t- chatting for a while. I didn't even get to uh, chat about um, the fact that we've started playing King's Dilemma. Right. Um, nominated for the Kenner Spiel this year and is I'm finding it to be quite a bit of fun, but I'll save that for another time. It's not something I can talk in depth about anyways because it's a legacy storytelling game, so I don't want to spoil it for anybody. And I forgot to complain about parts of the rules for for Relic Runner. Ah, the rules. We well, it's nice to have some stuff in our back pocket for. Uh, yeah, that's one of the topics uh, that that we said we want to uh, eventually talk about someday. Is just uh, pet peeves and rules. Right. <laughs> Rule book pet peeves. I I've been saving them up, so I'll save yeah. it for that. Yeah, I've got a couple. One, a couple popped in my head as soon as you said that. So. Mm. Okay. Hmm. Maybe not next week, but you know we'll we'll think about it. Uh, see you later, Steve. See you, Mitch. See you next week.